Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to a very special edition of the Less Than Legends podcast. You know, we've done a lot of previewing for the semifinals on this podcast. We've done some recap with Walter and I uh, throughout the week, kind of going game by game and looking at all these things from the, you know, the gambling perspective and everything else. But something I really wanted to do is make sure that we took some time to talk about the LMS and acknowledge just how far they've come as a region and how they were able to, you know, how these teams have such a, a promising future, I think, in a lot of ways. And I couldn't think of anyone better than to bring back James Obscura Chen from PC Gamer. James, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up? It's glad to be, uh, be back. Yeah, it's great to have you, man. It's it's one of those things where I, I think we kind of were joking after the last time we were on uh, the analyst desk together that it was going to be great to have you back on here because you'd know whether to be happy or whether you were going to be really sad. Now, I know that neither LMS team made it out of the group stage, but overall, how do you feel about the performances that we saw in those quarterfinals? Well, uh, just a small correction. They did make out the group stage. Just sorry, to, uh, sorry, out of the quarterfinals. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. You're correct. Yeah. Um, HQ went about it as expected. I was hoping a little more for Flash Wolves, but the games were relatively close. Uh, there's a bunch of errors that they made that kind of bothered me about. I kind of think that Carsa in particular kind of choked during the game because he wasn't really showing up, even though he was a, pretty much a group stage monster. So I think the pressure got to them. I, overall, I'm pretty satisfied. I can't say that I'm like deliriously happy because none of them are going to the top four. But this is just getting to, just having both of them in the quarterfinals is already a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's uh, fairly reasonable. You know, Group A, when you were writing it up, if you would put Flash Wolves at the top of your bracket, you were in a very small minority of people who thought they were going to be able to two zero the you know the Ku Tigers, who are a semifinals team. I mean, they're they they certainly. Both of these teams certainly accomplished what you could have asked for them going into this. Uh, let's start with the Flash Wolves first. And you brought up a very interesting point with Karza. Karza was a guy that did very well on the group stage, someone that has proven in the LMS season to be able to put a lot of early game pressure on teams, You know, to play some things like his Nidalee pick is very well regarded. And we didn't see much of that kind of aggression from him in this series, they seem to be more comfortable just playing for that late game. Do you think that was, you know, the the right strategy and it just wasn't executed? Or do you think that there was a better way to use some of that Karza aggression to throw Origin off their game? Uh, for strategy-wise, absolutely not. Uh, we saw during Origin versus Fnatic back during the uh, end of the summer split that Origin had a really powerful uh, uh, early game. That actually managed to keep uh, uh, Fnatic on, on their toes for the most part. Like they dragged it out to five, uh, into a full five game series off of that. And for Flash Wolves to take the passive stance, effectively gives amazing expected so as everything they want during the early game, all the pressure they want, all the all the early game mechanical focus that that, that they could wish for. Also, lets Mithy show off uh, just just how strong he was as as a support for those, for the uh, early game map control as well. And by losing the initiative on the map control, Flash Wolves effectively gave up their main strength that they demonstrated in, in the LMS, which was in well, effectively the same thing. The strong early game map control that allows them to take every single dragon, every single turret, even if they don't fight much, they can at least control most of the map. And by by having Carson like take the take his foot off the pedal like that, it meant that they gave up a lot of, a lot of what uh, was effectively the core strategy in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
And not only did they have to give up those things, but it forced them into really subpar trades that would hurt them later. You know, in game one, I remember that distinctly the dragon for Baron trade. You know, they were so afraid of giving up that fifth dragon that they ended up giving up the thing that would later allow them to push into the base and just seal the victory. And it's, it's one of those things where if you do not have that objective control, if you're not able to, you know, push out and, you know, and put that pressure, uh, enough pressure that you can board around that area, that you can pick the fights you want, it's very difficult to come back, especially in games that were going to the 40-minute mark and beyond, which every single game in this series did. Now, one of the things I was kind of surprised by is that, you know, we saw NL and Sword Art do so well on the Jinx Morgana combo in the group stage. You know, more people were making jokes about Sword Art having like an aimbot on his Morgana because of how <laughs> much damage it was able to do. And yet that combination was a losing combination in the series. It wasn't until the Caitlyn pick in game three that we really saw NL able to throw that bot lane off its game. Is there was there something about the way that Flash Wolves was it a individual thing or was it an overall strategic thing that you think hindered what was a very strong bot lane heading into this? I kind of want to put more credit on that to uh, Origin spot lane for that actually because Neil's turned out to be a really good host at that game if I recall correctly. Like, uh, was yeah. it Callista? I'm pretty sure it was. He had a uh, well. The first game was a Sivir. The second was a Callista, and both of which uh, are Neil's best champions in this tournament. So. Certainly, he, he performed very well on those. So you'd say it was more an origin outplay than, than Flash Wolves not being able to uh, play to the, what we had seen in the group stage. Right, because at least in my mind, the Callista versus Jinx matchup tends to at least slightly favor Callista. Because even, even if you can't get the knockup with a Fates Call against Black Shield, at least you have a body in front of, in front of you to effectively block Zap, block the Rocket Barrages, and it effectively lets Callista control a lot of the, uh, the, the combat space just by having her support, forcing her support in front of her. And... Uh, that made it more difficult for uh, NL to find a space that he needed. Again, this guy, this guy is has proven himself to be a pretty decent ADC. But I still don't, I still don't cons- consider him to be on par with AN or technically even BB at times in, in terms of the LMS. So being able to dance around Neil's Callista and, and especially with uh, Neil's Silver engages, that that just wasn't going to be much of a possibility for him. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely fair. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who were looking at that matchup and they're saying, oh, but Sword Art's going to land all these, you know, perfect findings. And yeah, he can he can do all these things, but you, that takes Niels out of the equation, who has proven to be such a great hyperscaling AD carry. And, and Origin as a whole, they really built around this heavy scaling composition. The Anivia proved to be the bane of the Flash Wolves. Uh, you oh, know, was, yeah. It was the pick in all three victories. Do you think that was, you know, just a... a a specific counter that Origin had in mind, or is it one of those things where the Anivia just has that ice wall that can separate, you know, at least one of those heavy damage Flash Wolves threats, and you know, isolate it so that Origin can win the team fight before they can get into full speed on Flash Wolves side. So, in my in my mind, Anivia actually takes up the same uh, conceptual space as Vagar against the LMS teams, and that they have no idea what to do against that, all that, uh, that huge area of effects control that uh, both of the champions provide. Like, if either you're facing a fight event horizon or you're facing Anivia's ultimate, and that's just a huge area to slow and control the fight that they can't seem to work themselves around. 
Uh, they're really used to facing them face. They're really used to uh, face-to-face fights and trying to like juke around that kind of uh, aerial control seems to have uh, bewildered them. They don't seem to know how to deal with it. So I definitely think it's a stylistic counter, at least. And it's going to be interesting to see how the teams uh, adapt to it when they get home. But, uh, yeah, they definitely didn't seem to... It definitely seems less of a mashup counterpick and more of a team counterpick in terms of dealing with the uh, LMS playstyle. Yeah, it, it did really hurt them in a lot of ways. And more specifically, when you look at some of the stats, you know, NL does 35.4% of his team's damage when he's in the game right now. Uh, Maple was at 29.9. The next closest, Stake and Karza were both hovering around 14%. What that just means is that you have two damage targets. And Ice Wall is such a beautiful way to zone one of those out. And once you only have to deal with one at a time, it makes these team fights so much better. And they never found a way to get around some of those barriers that, that they were able to successfully put down. Now, I guess the, the other thing I have to mention before we get into an overall where does stake go uh where does flash wolves go next is stake uh specifically the game for aurelia pick I, I gotta ask because i i just i'd seen stake in this tournament i've seen stake in the lms regionals and uh in the lms summer playoffs i did not think aurelia was a thing that was going to happen in this particular tournament is this some pocket pick that we just weren't aware of or was this as surprising to you as it was to us Oh, it definitely surprised me. I was actually astounded that he picked that because I've never seen him play Aurelia ever. <laughs> like he either he's either playing Nor Darius now, or he's playing like really tanky champions like Malkite, right? Like you've never seen you would never see this guy on a carry style champion because that that precludes the uh, what his focuses are, which is to basically lane passively and call the shots for his team. It, the sort of independent action you need from Aurelia and from uh, other other truly carry style uh, top laners just uh, doesn't usually fit what I would consider a stake style top laner. So, and honestly, it didn't look that good either. Like, <laughs> it's never felt particularly comfortable on him. And it's one of those things where I, I get the theory. You know, in theory, you tell yourself, the, what, the best way we can get back into the series, we're down two to one at this point. We need to win every game so far. We need to just tilt Soaz. Just force Soaz into the tilt game he has about once every five or six games or so. Put that pressure on him. Take that away from the, you know, the Darius pressure he was able to have so consistently for the rest of his team. And maybe we can turn that into something. But, but Stake's just not that guy. And there's a reason that this was the largest gap in victory of any of these games. You know, with all the other, with the Gnar, with the Malphite, he was offering some utility to his team. If not in damage, because damage was not his thing in this tournament, with his ultimates, with his ability to, you know, set up team fights and, and have some escapes when things went wrong. The Aurelia kind of forces you all in, and that was, that did not end well for this team. But still, as we, we mentioned at the top of this podcast, I think overall, you got to feel pretty good about Flash Wolves and, and what we saw. It, can you point to, I guess, anything in particular, even after a series like this, in which you've seen just a notable improvement from the team that was struggling in the LMS playoffs and really had to, you know, tooth and claw its way through regionals to even get to this tournament? Right. Uh, individual mechanic-wise, Carsa was not... 
Carson's transition into the uh, post-Cinderhawk jungle was not extremely smooth. A lot of their uh, tapering off was be- uh, was largely because of, uh, was because of that fallback. Because um, he doesn't play, t- he did. He really didn't like playing Tijuana. He didn't really didn't like playing in the uh, tanky junglers. So readapting to a more tank focused and support focused uh, jungle style did help him. And the fact that Rex at least eventually became OP again also helped him as well. But Greg is still in the game, obviously. A lot of uh, sin- uh, a lot of uh, sin hope based uh, gameplay st- uh, still predominant. The fact that Stake stepped up to be able to play Darius in the first place was also a major factor in how the uh, Splash was improved as well. So, it's kind of a pity that Stake's planning to retire as well. At least he's, at least he's uh, mentioned it. Mentioned that this might this might be his last game on the pro scene. Because mm-hmm. I really did think that he's become a lot stronger as an overall player. It kind of feels like they were trying to work around the Navy issue with the Aurelia pick, so props to them for at least uh, showing that kind of adaptation on the fly and see how it works. But he really, he would need another like three months to really uh, get strong enough on that, on that kind of champion. I guess he didn't really feel like uh, playing the effort for that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that puts us in a very interesting place, and I know this is this is all speculation, obviously, at this point, because when we look at where these teams go from here, obviously we have a whole offseason ahead of us. Whether Stake ultimately retires or not is still up in the air. But what do you think next year's Flash Wolves look like? If you had to take a guess based on what we've seen and, and what you're hearing, wh- where do they go from here? So this all assumes, of course, that the Chinese... Uh, Billionaires don't buy off Carson and Mako, which would really disappoint me if I wouldn't really blame them. <laughs> but uh, assuming everybody stays and only stay retires, they replace the stake with MD, which is more of a rumble player. Obviously, there's this huge question about how the meta develops, right? How the offseason patches affect the game, uh, what the itemizations are for the AD carries, but honestly, that should only strengthen NL. Mm-hmm. Given that Carson is mostly playing at top level again, they're going to give HQ a hard time because HQ is losing a lot of their, a lot of their uh, core players. So I'm expecting Flash Wolves to come out of this looking not only okay, but dominating the, the uh, element spring season. Technically, this is again, but they couldn't quite choke it through on the uh, playoffs, but I think they can actually make it through this time. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes up. I do believe that it is much more up for grabs now that we've heard what we have from AHQ. But before we get into that AHQ side of things, I do want to talk about their series against SKT because on the one side, you know, we know that it, we knew it was going to be a 3-0. We predicted the 3-0, uh, and, and it went down kind of as you might expect. But on the other hand, there were some bright spots for this team, uh, even outside of just Game 3, which was, you know, just a kind of weird pick and ban for SKT throughout. Uh, and, and first, the guy that stood out to me probably the most on this was Ziv and, and the way he was able to handle Marin. What did you think just watching you know, Ziv handle some of these lane swaps and, and putting his team and doing what he could on that Darius champ? So, obviously, I think Ziv made a case of being one of the best Darius players in the world after that set. Because <laughs> he did manage to take care of Martin pretty damn effectively. Especially during Game 1, where he was able to get multiple soul kills against his uh, Martin's Bureau. Um, that's kind of why I'm thinking that he's probably not going to be an LMS next year. Because that kind of talent doesn't go unnoticed by the uh, LPL. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> I'm hoping he stays. I'm really, really hoping he stays. He's so good. <laughs> 
that is always the rough part, right? Is you always have to remember that China has all this money and they seem to throw it at talented players. And I think you're right. I think he might be the best Darius player at this tournament. You know, there have been some other guys that have used the champion and shown it well, but we've also seen that for a lot of people, it takes work to make Darius work. You're sending resources to the top lane to make sure that he gets the advantages he needs, gets to the items where Darius really starts to shine. Ziv doesn't ever get that. Ziv will take the, the 1v2 and still manage to get to where he needs to be, which was incredible in its own right. I really, I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, on the other hand, we had, uh, we had Albus and On, who obviously On, we had all these hopes about you know what he was going to be and what they could possibly do to try to upset the SKT bot lane. It didn't seem like it worked out all that well, especially the thresh into the Tom Kench, which tr- proved to be uh, very difficult, at, at the, at, to say the least. Were you... Did you think that this was an underperformance from the bot lane, or is this more of a testament to what SKT is able to do uh, with their pressure from the jungle and, and setting that bot lane up for success? So I don't think they expected Tom Kench to be a hard thresh counter. <laughs> like, if you put thre- uh, Tom Kench in front of thresh and Tom Kench gets the hook, it turns out the catfish eats you instead of the other way around. <laughs> I mean, that's, so, that's what Monty was saying the whole time, right? You got to put in an arm, not a hook. They just, they didn't pay attention to the catfishing lessons, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah, it turns out it's actually really hard to reel in a catfish that, that large. So I think that's partially due to patch, but it's also because, that, frankly, Bengi was a much better jungler than Mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, straight up. The traditional uh, HQ focus, at least for this team, has been to have Mountain support the bot lane. But that, that, that involves... That necessitates that Mountain play at a level least comparable to his opponent as long as he doesn't get as even during a counter jungling uh, attempt. So if Mountain gets outplayed by Bingy or, or Bingy just simply outmaneuvers him all over the map, there's not much that that I think can do because you, you really need two people to support him and make sure that, he, that he's safe. Now, the team did actually kill Bing's KDA at least. Like, they got multiple kills on him. So we can we can at least we can at least acknowledge that the HQ bot lane did what nobody else's bot lane managed to do, which is which was to actually give a kill score on on Bang. So that's true. Bang uh, is, Bang is now going to have to cry into his twenty seven point three KDA tiers, which is just, I mean, it, it, it's a hard knock life for Bang right now. It's, it is. <laughs> I mean, I just you know, it's one of those things that we've talked about uh, in the past. How much having Faker on your team just means that you can put pressure everywhere else and Faker's still going to be this dominant threat. And uh, and that proved to be effective here. Uh, but I will say, Westor in Game 3 did a lot of things that I think people forgot he was capable of doing. It felt like with the Kassadin pick, Faker was looking to style a little bit. You know, it's something we've seen Korean teams do when they're up 2 nothing. We saw Samsung White do it last year to TSM. And Westor and this AHQ team really punished it for most of the game. What did you, what did you think watching the Westor's Fizz do all the things that we know his Fizz can do, uh, but on a big stage like that? I mean, we've been telling everybody all year that you should absolutely ban the damn fish against Westor. <laughs> and it turns out that if you pit Westor's Fizz against Faker, he's probably going to get a couple solo kills. Like... That honestly was just expected. The fact that Faker disrespected him by playing Kasten, which is frankly not very strong in this meta game at all, mm-hmm. kind of his own fault. I mean, they obviously still won, but 
it became a much closer game, especially became a uh, much more difficult game for Faker, simply because he chose what is effectively a losing matchup. Yeah, no, and 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 Westor is someone who has proven that he can handle those kinds of matchups. When you have these, you know, AP assassins going head to head, Westor knows how to make that work. And some of the kills he pulled off, yeah, sure, Kassin is not as strong in this meta. Faker, maybe not the, you know, the Kassin player that he thought he was going into this game. But there's also a lot to say that, you know, he just, you know, Westor had some outplays there, some legitimate, you know, that tower dive where he gets away with like 15 health. I mean, that's something that uh, that you just can't – that's just skill. That's just a skill and an understanding of the game. And it was uh, and it was beautiful to watch. Um, the one it was thing all that, calculated. Yeah, of course. I'm sure he absolutely calculated it to the very uh, damage point. You know, if, you know, funnily enough, though, if this, we were talking about Faker, we would all argue that, of course, he calculated it. It's Faker. He calculates everything. But, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, I suppose. I, I will He's say – He's definitely that. <laughs> I will say I am worried about AHQ's decision-making in the long run after that game a bit. Obviously, this is an AHQ team that went 4-3 and three in the group stage, really struggled in week one with some of the calls they were making, some of the compositions they were building. And now you look at this game three, a game that they were winning for most of the game. They get the fourth drag and everything's looking great. And then they force that Baron fight, which was, you know, I guess ill-advised is the friendly way to say it is this something that concerns you especially since there are going to be some pieces leaving as far as shot calling and and this team's understanding of how to make the right play in those kinds of situations well it's always concerning when a top level world-class team decides to cosplay as dinitas for at least a couple seconds (laughs) i'd agree with that that's fair black and gold is not the color dude it's it's just not a good fit for them. Um, I understand how Baron was such a huge temptation after they took that giant lead, but holy crap, did the game turn really damn fast at that at that point? It was it was turning on a dime. Mm-hmm. If they had simply played the cautious game and focused on turning, that would be fine. That would be simply fine. And the fact that Mountain opposite are the primary shot colors suggests to me that they need a more strategically oriented jungler to take over some of the calls because when obviously obviously it's it's a matter of it's a matter of being intimidated by SKT's reputation and thinking that they they need to make the drastic calls to make sure that they secure the game and make sure that they can win like in the face of the competition they're facing it's it makes sense that they would choose to to make that kind of risky uh, high high risk high reward decisions and hope they can pull it off but they didn't need to take that big a reward at that moment. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of it, I kind of want to blame on Mountain. I think I might have a grudge against the guy just overall for how the, how the uh, month's gone for the team so far. Mm-hmm. And I hope that, and I'm hoping that they can find somebody that's a little more mechanically proficient, at least like somebody that plays like Karsa, at least Karsa during group stages. No, I, I think that's t- totally fair. If Mountain was a guy who was, you know, up and down uh, for sure in this tournament, I think the Rengar is as far down as you can go on the world stage. Uh, it was his first professional Rengar game, uh, bringing it out in, in, in game one of the world's, you know, world championships maybe wasn't the best call I've ever seen. Uh, and his ups just weren't enough, you know. He 
he has this kind of style where he'll he'll roam around for the first like ten minutes or so, and then he just wants to go farm. And he does really well at farm. His CS per minute compared to other junglers is actually pretty high. But that's all that farm time is time he's not helping his teammates around the map. It's time that he's not making the plays that, you know, these proactive moments that you need if you're going to be a top-level team. And it, sure, it keeps him in line or maybe gives him a slight lead. But if, if it's at the cost of everyone else on the roster, I know which way I want my jungler to go. And it kind of leads to, you know, this follow-up question here. You're saying, you, you know, Mountain is someone that you would look to replace. I agree with that uh, assessment of the whole situation. West door is out the door. Uh, he has chosen to retire, which I guess actually before we get into anything else, I, I do want to give time to uh, to talk about West Store. What does what does his retirement mean to you as an avid watcher of the scene and someone who has pretty much seen his career from start to finish and how he's developed as a player? Well, it's finally impressive that we're losing West Store because just because of how storied he is in the uh, in the overall time when he's seen. Like he's this guy's a legend. He's He's topped multiple solo queues in multiple regions, like even even Korea. And he's been playing since God knows forever. He was the highest profile transfer from the old uh, T- uh, Thermaltake Dragons team to uh, HQ and all that drama involved. Like, this guy's had a long historic career. He's out, and honestly, getting to the world's quarterfinals and solo killing Faker on, on his birthday as a way to end his career only adds to that legend. Mm-hmm. So I think it's appropriate for him to step down now. It doesn't make it doesn't make me any less sad that he is, but if he if he if there was any time to step down, it was probably at that moment. So I salute him, and I hope that whatever he does gives him uh, afterwards gives him plenty of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. It is sad to lose him, but I understand and am happy for what he's accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. I think people that don't follow the LMS slash the former GPL all that closely might not realize just how much this guy did in his career. He, he is a legend. He is someone who, you know, when the League of Legends Hall of Fame gets made, he's going to be in there. And it's going to be, you know, and, and he will have absolutely deserved it from everything he's done for this AHQ team year after year. Uh, you know, even, even, you know, people forget he, you know, basically single-handedly willed that AHQ team uh, he and Green Tea, I suppose I should say at the time, uh, against EDG in the group stage last year at the World Championships. I mean, that game he had in the, the final game in the group stage is one of the best performances I've seen a mid laner pull off. He just was not going to take uh, a quick buyout for an answer. Uh, and, and and honestly, I, I really hope that we see him again. I would not be surprised if we see him in some sort of you know, coaching or analyst role somewhere. It seems like that would be a nice fit for him if he wants to do that. Uh, otherwise, whatever he does, um, he's he has earned all the respect uh, from the international community. And I hope that after you know watching him get to this, uh, get, you know, help this team get to this groups, st- you know, the bracket stage, and and do what they did, people are going to acknowledge that more and more outside of just the Taiwanese region. But it does put AHQ in a in a tricky spot, as I as I mentioned earlier. Where do you see? the new look AHQ going from here? Are there any particular mid laners that you think they're going to try to target in the off season? Or are, are there still a lot of question marks around what direction this team's going to try to go in? Uh, there's been a couple of rumors. Uh, 
obviously it's been known that the Logitech G snipers are basically their sister team. Mm-hmm. Like they were formerly the HQ snipers when the HQ bought out the uh, Type B snipers a, couple, a while back. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of uh, there's been rumors that they're going to be looking at the uh, snipers as basically a farm team to uh, pick up replacements for the players. And if so, that that makes like Artie and Breaker, jungler and mid laners respectively as the uh, primary targets. I don't think Artie is particularly good. He has, he has better mechanics than Mountain, but has even more questionable decision-making, so I'm not sure if that's a necessary upgrade. Obviously, there's no upgrading over uh, Westor, but Breaker's been an alright player. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you look at them, they were 8th place in the summer season uh, that Logitech Snipers, and obviously, uh, you know, when you're a sister team, and most of your talent's going to your main squad, it's going to be hard to win a lot of games, but this is, this is a team with young talent. I think that Breaker can become something. In R&D, it really depends on how much of the shot calling you want to give to Albus and how comfortable you feel with that. Albus, obviously, is a former jungler himself. He's uh, he's used to making calls both in the early and late game at this point. Maybe it's okay having that one voice, but it's something that AHQ clearly has to consider uh, going forward and how they build this team. It's gonna I mean, alternatively, <laughs> alternatively, you can have Green Tea unretire and put Albus back in the jungle. <laughs> That's completely fine with me. That would be a lot of fun, man. I think people, you know, it's one of those things where I saw people hyping up Green Tea up until the day of Worlds, not realizing that he had been benched and they have a whole new support that people were also impressed by. They just heard uh, really good support and AHQ and thought, oh, yeah, Green Tea, I remember him. Like, this is great. Uh, I I would not be surprised if Green Tea uh, makes an appearance at some point. You know, he was listed as the sub here. It seems like the kind of thing where if you're looking for decision-making and shot-calling, he's someone that we know can do it. And if he's interested in coming back, I don't think AHQ says no. I'd be very, very interested in following where he goes from here. Now, obviously, we're we're out of LMS topics to talk about uh, at this point because there's so many things that are going to change, you know, where the meta is going to go after these uh, AD carry changes, um, what players are going to be picked up. But I do want to talk to you just very briefly about your thoughts on the semifinals. You know, the first matchup, we have Origin versus SKT. We obviously talked about these teams a little bit when we saw what they did to the LMS. Where do you think this series ends up? Is it as simple as saying it's SKT is SKT and it's a 3-0? Or does Easy Hoon change that a bit for you? Uh, Easy Hoon does open up more opportunities for Origin to take the early game, obviously. Because without like Assassin Focus, the mid laner to pick them off in, in uh, early roams, it becomes a little easier for them to play the game to their tempo. So I think there's an opportunity for Urgent to get one game out of this. The problem is that Easy Hoon's actually a really good mid laner too, so they will have to work really, really hard, like a level, like a devastating level one, in order to get something snowballing against them. Because otherwise, Easy Hoon's just going to scale out of control. Like that guy. People forget, but Easy Hoon's got scary. <laughs> yeah, no, Easy Hoon is terrifying. That's one of the most terrifying things about SKT is that they have two of potentially the five best mid laners in the world, and they just don't feel like they have to use one of them uh, to really be good. Now, one of the things you you brought up uh, gives you a better chance of winning the early game. SKT right now has an 80% EGR on Oracle's Elixir, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with EGR. Uh, Hopefully people uh, listening to this podcast listened to me talk to Magic about it yesterday. But EGR basically is, you know, taking the Dragon's Claim, the kills, the towers, all that stuff. How likely is a team to win a game from that point? The way SKT is playing, they're 
80% likely to win a game just based on their early game. Uh, Origin, that same stat, is only at 51%. Uh, and, and by the way, since SKT's won all those games so far, uh, their MLR, their mid to late rating, is, is 20. They've got a perfect score right now. And Origin is less than that somehow. Uh, it's just it's just going to be very difficult for me to see Xpeke go on the kind of champion that will be able to push that early game because they haven't done it yet. And this seems like a weird time to, to make a shift, you know, this quickly in the week. I, I, would, I would be very surprised to see it. Do you think there's a chance that they, that SKT does the, you know, the same trap uh, that they fell into with AHQ in Game 3 where they, you know, get a couple game lead and kind of goof around a bit? And that's that can be an origin opening. And it's always possible, especially with SKT. We've seen, we seen it do that not only against HQ, but uh, back in the LCK as well, where if they take the early lead, mm-hmm. they sometimes make questionable decisions and questionable team compositions. This isn't the first time that uh, a leading Korean team, once they have a solid 2-0 advantage, chooses to play a pick comp without any wave clear. Mm-hmm. It seems to be some kind of weird fallback that bites them in the ass every time, but they insist on doing it anyhow. Yeah. It's uh, it is going to be fascinating to watch. If you had to make a pick, where do you see the series ending up score wise? I I said like the optimistic choice is definitely a three one. Like I seriously think SKT is probably going to take this three zero anyhow. But I think Origin has it in them to at least pull off one surprise. They've been they've been surprising everybody all year. Mm-hmm. So I can't completely bet against them three zero like HQ did. So I don't think they have the I don't think they have the intimidation factor that's. HQ seem to have suffered against SKT. They just, like, Souls and Xpec is faced against everything, everybody, and they <laughs> taking all the criticism they've ever, like, anybody could have ever taken, and they, and they still try to log just the same as ever. So, off of that, they have a chance. They have a chance. They don't have a chance to win, but they have a chance to make it interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. You know, Niels has shown that he has no fear. Uh, Mithy is also a guy that's made it to a world championship before. People kind of forget that. It's like we all decided to forget that the Lemon Dogs were a team that existed, but you know he did that, and, and it worked out pretty well for him. I think taking a game is possible. I'm still picking the 3-0, but uh, that's just more to a testament to how good SKT's early game has been. Uh, I don't know if Origin's going to get to the point where they can have the late-game scaling that has been so big a part of what they've done so far. Now, the other series is Fnatic versus Koo which I wasn't particularly expecting, you know, the Koo Tigers to win this series. I think when you were on the analyst desk with me, you also thought this was going to be a KT series. Uh, but regardless, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a fanatic 3-0, you know, in just the dominating fashion that they showed. Which of these two teams, you know, do you think is the most intimidating going into this into this semifinals matchup? Uh, definitely Fnatic. I, I don't know what's going on with Q Tigers, but at, uh, with uh, Kiki Rolster, but uh, for them to lose so badly against the Q Tigers, a one-three result. Oh, their shot calling kind of sucks. Like you'll see EG level shot calling. Yeah, it was uh, that Baron call in Game Four. I, I, I've said this multiple times now, so people are probably tired of hearing it. But I do believe that was one of the worst calls I have ever seen on a big stage uh, in history. I, I just. I can't remember a team being so far ahead for the vast majority of the game and then just 
picking the worst Baron fight, and not only just picking it, but then once they realized they couldn't do it, just refusing to peel off anyway. I mean, it wasn't close. It was a really weird call in a, in a series of weird calls that Ku was able to take advantage of, and, and Ku also was able to win the pick ban phase. You know, they got Elise for, uh, for Hojin in all three of those games, which has by far been his best champion at this tournament. You know, when you look at the Fnatic and Ku series, do you think Nofei is going to continue to be able to outsmart opponents in picks and bans, or do you think Delior has some tricks up his sleeve himself? No, they always been doing fine. Like, they should not be losing picks and bans, at least not as badly as KG Rolster did. Mm-hmm. I honestly have no idea what happened to KG. Holy shit, man. <laughs> that was a huge disappointment. I was expecting more of a fight. Like, we would expect that to be a showcase match, but frankly, ASQ was more fun to look at. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I absolutely agree with that. With AHQ, I was really rooting for uh, for them to pull off that game three victory. Uh, with KT and Koo, uh, I remember messaging uh, Walter and Skyler during the games and saying, like, man, I hope this doesn't go to five. Like, I just, I don't want to, like, this is not fun anymore, just the way that, you know, KT is playing right now. But it does lead to this very interesting you know, philosophical matchup between Fnatic and Koo. Fnatic being a very proactive team trying to get these skirmishes across the map. They've been the second strongest early game team at this tournament so far. Whereas Koo is kind of seen more of a reactive team, taking advantage of little holes that, that you know, that enemy teams make and, uh, and taking the most out of them. Which of those two strategies do you think is more likely to come through and be a success in the semifinal series? Definitely Fnatic. In fact, I'm betting them to get at least a 3-1 result against Koo Tigers. And the reason for that is simply because uh, their proactive style not only puts the game to their tempo, it also forces the opponents into, into a greater uh, risk of making errors themselves. And we saw what happens when Fnatic played against AHQ. Like, Fnatic dropped game against AHQ, but they also turned games around that shouldn't have been theirs by any rights. Say because they had a, they had an equal or greater uh, capability than Kutaris of recognizing weak points and taking and taking advantage of them within the split second. I have not forgiven Fevin for, uh, for that, but I will acknowledge him. <laughs> yeah, but Fevin is incredible. I think he's played on a, a different level than even I expected, and I had very high hopes for him. Uh, it really does say a lot about what the best teams in Europe can do when you provide the right infrastructure. You know, I talked with, uh, a little bit about uh, this with Magic in, in yesterday's podcast, but it is, there does seem to be something that Fnatic does that just the rest of the West needs to figure out and adapt to because this is the blueprint, right? We always had these conversations about how Korea is the best in terms of infrastructure. They know how to run their teams. They know how to run their houses. They know how to get the most out of all their guys. If Fnatic wins this series as... as dominant a fashion as uh, most people are predicting right now, then I think the argument is that you can do it in Europe. And if you can do it in Europe, you can do it anywhere. You just need the right kind of people in the right positions making the smart decisions that get the team where they need to be. And, you know, whether that's fanatic system, whether that's, you know, the kind of twist on things that Origin has done, it's something that I hope, you know, a lot of regions, China included, by the way, uh, learn that that's the way to go, not just throwing money at the issue. Uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, uh, is there anything that you really want to see in either of these semifinal series? What's the thing you're looking forward to most, I guess is a better way to phrase it. 
Um, a surprise from Origin, and for Fnatic, for Fnatic to show off why they are they have been so dominant in Europe for such a long time. Because again, I really do not have all that much respect for Blue Tigers. I still think of them as a bit of a paper tiger matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, them dropping two zero, uh, them dropping zero two to uh, Flash was in the first place demonstrates that there's a lot of mechanical lack of Moxa players and a lot of strict, and like a bit of a veil strategically over over their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Like the the victory against KT Roster was more of KT Roster fault than really Blue Tigers' accomplishment in my estimate. Mm-hmm. And I do have to apologize to Fnatic as well because a while ago I called them out for not paying the Alice, but but that was for their uh, voluntary uh, Alice uh, beginning Alice that they were training up, and they and part of the and part of the reason why Fnatic has been so strong is because the Alice that they do pay for the coaches that do have the support of the structure they 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 have to back up the players has been doing a phenomenal job and much better than I think than what the uh, Tigers have otherwise demonstrated. Like, Mongrel has been hyping up Clue Tigers' ability to uh, be innovative and adapt to patches, but that's not a weakness for Fnatic either. Mm-hmm. And their, their individual players are not, not only have that kind of support and not only have that kind of resources to back them up, but are individually a lot more talented than what I'm seeing, seeing out of Clue. So. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And if, AD, uh, if ADC Cannon is something they're willing to show off, in the end of the group stage and in the quarterfinals, just imagine what picks they're saving for the semifinals and the finals. Like, that's what people should be scared of. There's, there, there could be so much more to this that we don't even know yet, and I can't wait to find out what that is. But uh, I think that makes a podcast. Uh, James, thanks you so much for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug on your way out? Uh, yeah, shout-outs to uh, Channel Talk, who, is, who have been undergoing a huge uh, crisis of faith as of late. Uh, sorry, guys. Sorry, girls. It's, it's going to be a tough year for you for you lot. Uh, Shouts to uh, my uh, PC gamer, who I'm uh, currently uh, still freelancing for until I can announce what I've been up to for the last few weeks. And uh, shouts to everybody at L- uh, LL Esports, all the freelancers there. You guys have been doing an awesome job. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm. Go- you guys can find me uh, at Red Shirt King on Twitter. I'm obviously always live tweeting. Always love talking to you guys. Would love some feedback. Uh, James, where can they find you on Twitter? At Obscurica. That's O B S C. Oh shoot! I forgot. <laughs> it's my own spelling. Hold on. <laughs> it's O-B-S- in your Skype name. <laughs> yes, O B S C U R I C A. Sorry, it's a whole jumble of letters. It's it's a beautiful jumble of letters though. I one of these days I'm gonna have to ask you how you picked it. But uh but until next time, goodbye internet. <laughs>